Well, good morning. Good morning. And welcome to Sunday School. Um, if you've got your Bibles, open up to the little book of Philemon. If you have to use the index, that's totally okay. The whole book is probably on one page in your Bible, so it's kind of small. All right, so before we jump into Philemon proper, we're uh, going to kind of take a 50,000-foot view and come in closer into the book. So uh, just an overall structure of the Bible, a couple things you may know, a couple things you may not know. Um, I'm going to take this from the approach that we're all fairly familiar with the Bible. You've got the Old Testament on the left, New Testament on the right. Um, does anybody know the reason the Pauline epistles and the general epistles are in the order that they're in? So we can memorize them that way. No, actually. Good idea, though. There's a really deep theological meaning here. They're in order of descending length. That was not theological at all, was it? No, no, no. Um, if you're familiar with uh, the Muslim holy book, the Quran, the chapters in the Quran are in order of descending length. If you read it all the way through, the story jumps around all over the place. It's almost impossible to follow. But because the chapters that are longer are felt to be more important, they put them up front. Then you get over into the Pauline epistles. Now, Paul's writings in the New Testament started in Romans and end in Philemon. And if you look at all the books of the New Testament, it's a pretty good chunk of them, right? It's a pretty good chunk of them. So where does Philemon fall in that list? The very end. It's the smallest one of all of his writings. So a little background on Paul here. Uh, obviously a very strong Jewish heritage. Uh, he was a persecutor of the early church. Very early on, immediately uh, before his uh, conversion, he sees uh, Jesus Christ. Christ calls out to him. Um, he was an apostle specifically to the Gentiles. He traveled a lot, started a whole lot of churches. Uh, he actually never went to, we don't think, the city that the book of Philemon is written to. Philemon, we believe, was living in Colossae at the time, and, uh, but he wrote a lot of letters. We have 13 of those in the New Testament, and Philemon is Paul's last letter in the New Testament. Now, it's also called the prison epistle. Paul wrote this uh, while he was under confinement, not technically in a Roman prison. Uh, if you look at the last couple verses of the book of Acts, you'll see that Paul was actually under house arrest, and what that meant was that there was a guard in his house, and he was able to write he was able to receive visitors, but he could not leave his house. So for some of us, that sounds like that'd be a pretty cool way to live, right? I would never have to interact with anybody. I'd never get stuck in traffic again, never have to wait in line at Walmart, never have, yeah, but you couldn't go outside. And for a couple days, that might be kind of cool, but for two years, that would get really old. So one of the things that Paul did during this time is he wrote lots and lots and lots of letters. I am of the personal opinion, this is Jim Fleming talking here, this is not scripture, that he wrote probably hundreds and hundreds of letters because he references lots of other letters in the letters that we have that we know we just don't have copies of. So um, Ephesians, Philippians, and Colossians were also letters that we have that are preserved in the canon of scripture. Uh, and Colossians, uh, if you want to get a, a really good study of Philemon, you'll also compare that with the book of Colossians because there's a lot of similarities there between the two. They were written to the same folks. They were carried by the same messengers. They have generally the same theme. It's just Philemon is a very condensed version of the theology that's taught in Colossians. So, so a little background on Philemon. 
Um, the primary audience is Philemon, right? Yeah, which is kind of cool. Uh, the titles of Paul's letters are all related to the recipient. The titles of the general epistles are all related to the author because you couldn't just have Paul 1, Paul 2, Paul 3, 4, 5, 6. I mean, it would get a bit repetitive. So that's how they decided on the titles for those. So um, secondary audience is Athea Archippus and the church in Philemon's home. Uh, it's dated somewhere around 60 AD. If you've got a study Bible and you've got it open to Philemon, it probably says somewhere between 60 and 62, um, but it could have been a little broader than that. Uh, so a little background on Philemon. Uh, Philemon owned a slave named Onesimus, and this is critical to the story. Now, one of the things that we're not going to get into today, but we will address in a couple weeks, is the concept of slavery in New Testament times, what the Bible says about it, and how that relates to slavery in the world today. Because I don't know if you're aware of it or not, but there are still slaves in the world today, and it is still a problem today. And I am under the belief that it is still sin today. And we'll look at what the scripture says about that concept and how that works. So Philemon owned Onesimus. Onesimus ran away. We don't know if he did something wrong. We don't know if he stole. We don't know what he did. And if you want to read a commentary about the book of Philemon, and the commentary goes on and on and on about exactly what Onesimus did, we just don't know. We don't have a clue what he did. It's all conjecture. So there's several different points during today where your study Bible, if you look over on the side and it says definitively, this is what happened, and I'm going to go, yeah, we don't know. Because if you can show me verses in the Bible that say this is what happened, great, you got me on board. But there's a lot of wiggle room left in this story. So Onesimus runs away. He runs away to Rome, which is actually where Paul is imprisoned at this time. Now, let's think about this for a second. We know from the story of Philemon that Onesimus is converted to Christianity under Paul. You know that he's converted to Christianity under Paul. And I just talked a minute ago that Paul was under house arrest. So how would this interaction have happened? Let's just talk through this for a second. Somebody would have to take him to him, right? Now, how would, how would Onesimus have known about Paul? For those of you that read Philemon before today, how would Onesimus have known about Paul? Perhaps from Philemon, right? Paul would have been the biggest name in Christianity at this time. All right, so... Onesimus is converted to uh, Christianity under Paul. Onesimus either sought Paul out directly or somebody led him to Paul. But this interaction would have happened in Paul's house. Okay, so think about that. Think about being in the house of the biggest rock star in Christianity at that time. So who's the biggest rock star in Christianity? Because we have them, right? I mean, it's just, just the way it works. My vote goes to Barry Cole um, just because he's awesome like that. Yeah. You got applause too, man. That was great. So who would be some rock stars of Christianity right now today? Billy Graham, right? Yeah, and the closer he gets to death, the bigger he gets, right? I mean, it's heaven help us all when he dies. And it'll be you know, a great day that the saint has passed on to glory and he won't be in pain anymore and all that. But you know, the world is going to blow him up so big that it's going to overshadow Jesus. And you just watch it. It's going to happen. And it's going to, I guarantee you, if Billy Graham could come back and say anything, it would be like, you're getting it all mixed up, guys. It's about Jesus. It's not about me. So who's some other big names in Christianity right now? Rick Warren. Yeah. Who else? Beth Moore. So imagine being able to go to Rick Warren's house or Beth Moore's house 
and learn about the books that you're writing at the time that are eventually going to become what's known as the New Testament. Pretty good teacher, right? Perhaps? Yeah. So this would have been a really neat interaction. So Onesimus is converted to Christianity. Paul sends Onesimus back to Philemon with the epistle of Philemon to be reconciled. Now think about this. This is your boss. This is your owner. You ran away. Now, does anybody know, did anybody read any commentaries this week around what could have happened to Onesimus when he went back to Philemon? There were, there were two or three different major things that probably would have happened had this happened in any other house. The first thing that would have happened is they'd have shaved the back of his neck and they would have branded an F into the back of his head for fugitas, our word fugitive. Fun, Right? Not the tattoo that I want to get, okay? <laughs> Not the way I want to work. The second thing that could have happened is that he could have been beaten right up to the point of death. These were both very, very common things. The third thing that could have happened if Philemon was angry enough was that he would have been crucified. So, let's make a deal. Which door do you want? Do you want door number one, door number two, or door number three? Anybody want to roll the dice on that one? I don't want to really roll the dice on that one. So there's a lot of theological principles here at work, and we're going to get to those a lot more as we go through the book. But Paul sends Onesimus back because reconciliation is that important. So the schedule for this series, what we're going to be talking about today, is just setting the stage. We're going to do the first couple verses. Uh, next week, we're going to be talking about how Paul frames the favor that he's going to ask for Philemon. Uh, week three, Paul actually asks for something. Week four, Paul talks about how optimistic he is that Philemon's actually going to pull it off. And then week five, it's... We're finishing up. We're saying goodbye. We'll see you in the next book. So a couple things to know as we go through. Uh, a couple names, because sometimes when we read through the scriptures, we come across a name and we go, is this the same guy over here, or is this another guy, or how does that work? So Paul's the guy that's writing the letter. Um, he's probably around 60 years old at this point, so he's very, very later in life. Uh, this would have been considered an extreme old man for this time. Uh, Timothy is a companion of Paul. He's in Rome with Paul. Uh, Philemon is the main recipient of the letter, and Onesimus is wronged owner. Um, then you come to Athea. Uh, most of the commentators, did you like that name, Athea? I think it's kind of a cool name. Most of the commentators think that Athea was probably Philemon's wife. The scriptures do not say that, but according to the order in which she shows up in the introduction, could be a logical conclusion, might be. Archippus. Uh, he was a leader in the church. Uh, the reason we think Philemon lived in Colossians is because Archippus was mentioned in Colossians 4.17 as being a preacher of the gospel there. So since he's mentioned again, relatively logical to assume that this is the same guy in the same city and this is the church that he was the pastor of in Philemon's house. Uh, Jesus shows up. Right? Can't leave Jesus out. If you leave Jesus out of a Sunday school lesson, you really messed it up. So making sure he's in here. Uh, Onesimus is the slave that ran away from Philemon, his master, and has returned. So he showed back up again with a letter. And then in the last couple of verses, when Paul's doing his shout-outs, uh, we get to Epaphras, Mark, Aristarchus, Demas, and Luke. And these were guys that were hanging out with Paul, helping Paul pull off the work wherever he went. They were kind of his traveling companions that went along with him. A couple facts about this letter. This is the most personal letter of Paul's in all of the New Testament. Um, this letter is indirectly written to the church that's in Philemon's home, but it 
almost exclusively deals with this personal issue of Philemon and Onesimus. So we get to see what Paul's like one-on-one, right? Because sometimes leaders are one way when we're up in front of a group, and we're a totally different way when we're one-on-one. Anybody ever experienced that? Yeah. Anybody ever have a teacher in college or high school that they were just a fantastic teacher, and you went up to them after class one day to ask them a question, and they just brushed you off? My favorite Bible professor, the first school that I attended in college, was like that. I mean, he was fantastic. It was, love just oozed out of him in front of a class. I walked up to him after the class one day. I said, Dr. Hand, I'd love to ask you a question about this. I don't have time for your questions, young man. God bless you, too. Okay. <laughs> All right, great. And one of the things that I love about this little letter is that we get to see the personal nature of Paul, and the personal nature of Paul is, w- without being too cliche-ish, let's get together, and it'll be all right. Okay? I didn't sing it, so you're welcome. For those of you thinking I was going to I'm not going to do that. Uh, a couple of little things. The letter is only 335 words in the original Greek. Very, very short. Very to the point. And Philemon's mentioned nowhere else in the entire New Testament. So we don't know anything else about him. So anything else that the commentators say about Philemon that they got from somewhere else, just made up. So I need somebody to read the epistle of Philemon. So if you've got your Bibles open to Philemon. Yep. Who's got it there? And I've got the pronunciation helps on the screen here, okay? So when you get to the names. And if you want to, like, tag team when you get to verse 23 or 24 when the names show up, then I'll, I'll be happy to read those for you. So no problem. <laughs> now, does anybody have a different translation there? The heart, yes. The literal Greek does mean intestines. It means the bowels. It means because if you, and this is for a couple of weeks later, but when we think about um, the way we communicate today, If I want to tell my wife I love her, I love her from the bottom of my heart, right? If we lived in the first century, get ready. (laughs) I love you from the bottom of my bowels. No, doesn't translate well, does it? Well, the, the Greeks had this concept that the seat of emotion was in the pit of your stomach because when you feel something emotionally, you feel it here, right? You don't feel it up here in your heart. You feel it down here in your gut. So their version of the word gut is bowels. So translation is kind of choppy, but we get the idea. So go ahead, thanks. Today what we want to look at is the first three verses of that, and then as we go through in following weeks, we'll kind of pick apart the next few verses. So the first part of verse 1, Paul. So right off the bat, we know exactly who's writing. Ancient letters always started with the name of the author. Um, so Paul, a prisoner of Christ Jesus, and Timothy, our brother. So a couple questions. Now that we've kind of heard the story of Philemon and Onesimus, why do you think Paul would use the term prisoner? Why do you think Paul would use the term prisoner? What do you think, Dave? He was in prison, yeah. So perhaps the obvious reason is that he's in prison, right? Anything else? Yeah, did, did, did at any point in time, um, when you heard the text being read, did you get the feeling that Paul was this arrogant jerk, and he's kind of throwing his weight around, and he's being cocky and pushy, and did you get that feeling at all? It's really not there, is it? It was, I, I, I know you're going to do the right thing. I could command you to do it, but I'm asking you to do it. I would like for you to do this. I'm encouraging you because you've been an encouragement to me. 
right? I mean, this is, this is not an arrogant, cocky uh, evangelist here. This is someone who is quite humble. But any other reason why you think Paul would use the word prisoner? Absolutely. This is a voluntary submission. If you read the prison epistles, you don't ever get the feeling that Rome got the better of Paul. It, it's just not there. You get the feeling that Jesus got the better of Paul, and Paul is willingly subjecting his life to the authority of Jesus Christ. So, I'm going to keep asking the question, because we're not there yet. So why do you think that Paul used the word prisoner? Right. He's laying the foundation for the request that's coming. Paul's a prisoner. Onesimus, when he goes back to Philemon, is Philemon's prisoner. He's his slave. He's property that is owned. When, and I don't know if anybody's ever been in prison or in jail. I'm not going to ask that question, okay? Some questions you don't ask in Sunday school. Um, but when you are in prison or when you are in jail, whose property are you? The government. That's right. You are not your own. They will stencil a number on the back of your jumpsuit, and you are theirs. And Roman law was the same thing. If you were a Roman prisoner, you were property of the Roman Empire. And Paul's setting the stage here for the request that he's going to make. So, in uh, First and Second Timothy, in your Bibles, flip backward, uh, open up to First Timothy, put your finger there, and open up to Second Timothy, put your finger there, and read the first couple verses of each one of those. First Timothy and Second Timothy. Things, I'm going to say this very carefully, things evolve in the New Testament. Okay? One of the things that evolved in the New Testament was Paul's relationship with Timothy. How did Timothy get referred to in 1 and 2 Timothy? My son, my child, my beloved son, my, my son in the faith, those types of things, right? And how is he referred to in Philemon? My brother. Okay. Which one of them is more grown-up sounding? Brother, right? Why? Um, this is something that I am really looking forward to with my own children, is the day that I can call Anna Grace, my sister in Christ, and Caleb, my brother in Christ. Now, they are now already technically because they have accepted Jesus Christ as their Savior. But from a training, from a maturity, from a responsibility perspective, they are still very much babes in Christ, and that's okay. There's nothing wrong with that. They're nine and six, right? I wouldn't expect Caleb at six years old to be able to stand up and teach this lesson today. That would be really cool if he did, and we would make a lot of money on the Internet if he could, but I, I wouldn't expect that, okay? So we're continuing with verse one. Some of you are going, holy cow, that was, verse, that was the first half of verse one, okay? This is a rich, rich, rich book. So, to Philemon, our beloved friend and fellow laborer, to the beloved Aphia, Archippus, our fellow soldier, and the church that is in your house. So, um, fellow laborer is a term that Paul uses several times in the New Testament, almost exclusively for a certain type of person. Anybody know? Fellow laborer. For pastors, right. He almost always uses it for pastors. Now, did I say he always uses it for pastors? No. There's this one time. It was this really, really mature lady. Oh! Yes, I'm still Baptist, don't worry. There was this really, really mature lady. Anybody know her name? 
She's the most mature female character in the book of Acts. It's a lady. Very good. Way to go. Kudos to you, man. That's awesome. Yes, he calls Priscilla and Aquila my fellow laborers in Christ. So this can mean a little broader term than just a pastor. So to say that Philemon is a, uh, a pastor of this church, probably not. Typically the way that house churches worked in this time period was that the richest person, the church was held in their house because there were three different types of social statuses at this time. There were slaves. Slaves were slaves, right? Slaves did not have large houses where you could hold meetings, those types of things. There were free men. Free men were people who used to be slaves who had bought their own freedom and now were kind of still the bottom rung of the free part of society. You weren't rich. You didn't get rich. Your life uh, would not ever progress two rungs up that social ladder. You might get one, the next generation might get another, but nobody in one generation jumped from being a slave to being wealthy. Just didn't happen. And the top rung of the food chain socially were those that were rich enough to have their own houses and to have their own slaves underneath them. Okay, so if Philemon has a church in his house and has slaves, he's at the top of the food chain wealth-wise. Now, it doesn't mean that he is the richest guy in Colossae. Right? How many of us own houses? How many of you that own houses would say that you are the richest person in Hickson or Chattanooga? No. It, it, it just means we don't have a cardboard box under the bridge. Right? So that there's, there's still a lot of wiggle room in that top tier of category of person. So my question is, is Paul buttering Philemon up or just being truthful? Yes. Why do you say yes, Justin? He's doing both. Why would he do both? Yeah, the, the theme of this letter is not, hey, what's up? <laughs> right? I mean, how many of you have gotten a text this week from somebody, one of your friends, hey, what's up? Yeah, I have too. I've gotten several. Some from you guys. And that's not the reason that Paul wrote the book of Philemon. He wrote this letter to accomplish a specific purpose. So Onesimus and Philemon would be reconciled. So I think he's probably doing both. Yeah. Um, and number two there, why address it to the church that's in Philemon's home? First century churches met in homes, right? The average home size over time has gotten bigger or smaller? Bigger, dramatically bigger, ridiculously bigger. A house our size, I live in literally a mile from this building, How, what's ours, 1,700-ish? Almost 1,800 square feet. We moved out of a house that was a little around... The 1,200, yes. We thought we had moved into the friggin' Taj Mahal. <laughs> he was like, there's this whole other room that we can like just do whatever we want to with. It's awesome. You know, it's amazing, all this room. Well, a house at this time would have been considerably smaller. A room, anybody that had a room this size would have been just opulently wealthy. I mean, this would have been an obscenely large church. Probably the largest, I mean, it was just, you couldn't do that. So this was very, very small, very small gatherings. Say what you said again, Stuart. A little peer pressure goes a long way. So if Philemon knew that Paul wanted this thing read in front of everybody else, hmm, okay. I mean, if, if uh, Rick Warren wrote me a letter and said, Jim, I want you to read this to your Sunday school class, one, I'd be like, holy cow, he knows about our class. 
that is cool, right? That's pretty neat. And two, I'd be like, I think I want to get a pre-read of that. Yeah? <laughs> to make sure that I might be in line with what's going on here. So a little peer pressure, perhaps. One other thing, the church that's in your house, and this is probably only something that I could say here at Stewart Heights. Stewart Heights has been very blessed the last few years uh, with this dramatic, almost ridiculous growth that we have experienced as a church. Would, would you not say? Yeah. How many of you were here 10 years ago? You raise your hand. 10 years ago you were here. See, that's significantly less than half the class, right? Um, just because God happens to be blessing the way that we are doing church here doesn't mean that we as a body or we as individuals should ever look down upon smaller congregations. Because if it were not for this small congregation, we would not have the letter to Philemon, right? God can work in big sizes, and God can work, that was hilariously ironic that you would walk across there, in small sizes. You know, because he's dropped like, I don't know, 200 pounds? Yes, in the last couple of years. So big sizes and small sizes, that was really cool. For those of you listening online, that was Matt Ayers that just did a demo. They walked through, okay, that was awesome. Next slide before I get myself in trouble here. All right, so Philemon uh, 1.3 says, Grace to you and peace from God our Father, the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, how many of you have read all of the New Testament before? You've read all of the New Testament before. Cool. How many of you have seen this phrase before from Paul? Grace and peace to you, yeah. This was kind of like his signature. If, if Paul did text messaging, this would be the little phrase at the end of his text messages. Right? I mean, this is just how he signed. This is part of him. This was how you knew it was coming from Paul. Okay? So why would Paul use the same greeting? I kind of answered my own question. Sorry. To help people know that um, it's from him. So question number two. This is a fun question, I think. What do you think is going through Philemon's mind at this point? Because he hadn't read the rest of the letter yet. He'd just gotten down through the first couple of verses, and it wasn't broken up into verses. It was probably just in paragraph form. Well, actually, it wasn't. They didn't have punctuation in Greek, so... This big block of text. Very awkward. I digress. So, <laughs> sorry. I just geeked out on you guys that are new to the class, so I apologize for that. Um, so what do you think is going through Philemon's mind right now, though? Yeah. Who do, you, do you think, do you think um, that if, I'm going to make a presupposition here, if Athea was his wife, maybe she's reading it along with him? Because it was addressed to her, too, and... Maybe Archippus was there. They're all kind of reading it together. One of them probably was a faster reader than the others. Maybe, because in any group of three people, somebody reads faster, right? I mean, we've all experienced this. Yeah, I experience it in here all the time. Can you guys at your tables read this chapter? And in 30 seconds, you know, somebody's popped their head up and I'm going, God, come on, seriously. I mean, read it, don't skim it, you know? And then seven minutes later, God love you. Um, some of you raise your heads, and it's like, okay, that's cool, too. No problem. You know, we've got to get through at our own pace. That's, that's no big deal. So what do you think is going through Philemon's mind at this point, though? What's he want? Where's this going, right? Where's he going with this? Who is delivering the letter? Onesimus is delivering the letter. Now, th this would be... Uh, David Bandy, can I borrow you for a sec? Cool. Um... I'm going to be Philemon, and David's going to be uh, Onesimus. And this is how I pictured in my mind. I'm on my front porch because I have a porch and I have a house. What are you doing? 
I, you ran away. You know, Sophia, go get the Brandon iron. <laughs> and you would immediately say, here, this is from Paul. From Paul? How do you know Paul? You told me about it. Oh, yeah. Thank you. <laughs> and I open the letter up, and I start to read. And I read about how Paul was blessed by my ministry and how I encouraged him and how he, in chains, is thinking about me and that how Onesimus has been converted to Christianity and how now I am to receive back not my slave and still my slave, but now my brother. I've got all kinds of stuff going through my head right now. I'm going to have to pick this thing apart. I'm going to have to read it 20 times. I'm going to have to really soak on this to understand what is going on here. This was a heavy, heavy day for Philemon and his family. Would you agree? Cool. That's why we're going to spend five weeks on the book of Philemon. So, next week. Thank you, sir. Onesimus. I wonder if he had a beard. Probably so. These are the things that I wonder about when I read the scriptures. So, next week. There we go. Uh, Frame in the favor, verses 4 through 7. So, your homework. Here's your homework. Memorize verses 4 through 7. And what I'd like you to do is read the epistle all the way through from the perspective of each one of the different characters. So if you're Philemon getting the letter, reading it for the first time, what's going through your head? And jot down some notes or send me an email because that was awesome. If you're Onesimus watching Philemon read the letter, what's going through your head? Yeah, I hope he gets it. <laughs> I didn't smudge the ink anywhere, did I? I mean, it's okay. Um, if you're Jesus Christ, watching this interaction between two believers now, how do you feel about that? Right? And uh, I've also got uh, Athea and Archippus in there. If you're the pastor of this church, how are you hoping this turns out? A lot of different things going on there. So at your tables, there should be a half a sheet of paper. That's our prayer request sheet. Uh, write down your prayer requests. Pray over those as a group. 